whatever intention you have towards people, think about how you want them to feel by the time you leave the room. Let's achieve that. But then in the message, you've got to drill down into really understanding storytelling skills. And storytelling is incredibly misunderstood throughout the corporate landscape where people think, oh, I know what you mean. You've got to tell anecdotes and be funny and talk about historical events and why they matter. And it's not about that. It's about understanding. Why do we love stories? We love stories because stories. Welcome to the Business Ownership Podcast, brought to you by Awareness Strategies, helping you navigate the waters between entrepreneurship and ownership. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I'm super glad that you're here with us today because I'm here with my most amazing guest, Richard. Richard, thank you so much for being here with us today. Yeah, you're welcome. Looking forward to it, Michelle. Um, so give us a highlight of who you are and what you do for business. Uh, sure. So I am the CEO and founder of Body Talk, uh, where we teach people communication skills. And I've been doing this now with my team uh, for the last 23 years. Uh, we work with people all the way around the world, uh, across Europe, the Middle East, Asia, America, Australia, Africa as well, people of every different background. And essentially what I really care about is helping people to find their voice and be able to express themselves effectively. Also figure out effective storytelling that can help them cascade messages through their team, inspire people, win more business. And also more recently specializing more in the area of mindset to help people really thrive, be a rock in the storm based on you know many challenges that we've all been through uh, recently. So uh, yeah, that's where, that's where I am at. And that, that's what I've been passionate about for many decades now. Nice. I love it. So how did you get into this as a field? Yeah, so a bit of a long story behind it, really, but uh, I'll make it concise. Uh, so when I was uh, sort of four years old, I was apparently <laughs> quite happy and had a little gang of friends. And then nearly when I was just before five years old, we moved to a new neighborhood and uh, I went into the school sort of kindergarten level and was trying to make friends with people and just couldn't seem to connect or communicate with them. And I didn't really know why. And, and I had this feeling when I was younger of being in a glass bubble, unable to connect with other people. And as I got into my teenage years, I decided to start investigating communication and really studying it because I could see I was a step behind other people. And I didn't realize at the time that I was, you know, I was very shy as a child. I'm highly introvert, but uh, I've also just recently last year been diagnosed uh, as being autistic. And I didn't know that back then. I just knew that there was some kind of disconnect I was dealing with in communication. And so I read over 200 books on the subject of communication uh, to improve my skills and knowledge there. <laughs> I also <laughs> uh, then uh, I went to live in the foothills of the Himalayas, where I was living with uh, Tibetan monks for six months in this Tibetan monastery, where I was teaching English to them. And the big challenge being they didn't speak any English. And so I had to use body language and tone of voice just to be understood by them and was doing that for six months in order to connect and communicate. And then came back to the UK and studied acting for three years at a London acting school, learning how to sit, stand, move, breathe, and so on in a way that would impact an audience or people on stage with me. And, uh, and then you know, it was just really a hobby. <laughs> the way my business got started, it was just my hairdresser's idea. He was listening to me talk to him one day when he said, hey, what do you do? And I told him about this stuff and he said, if I give you a free haircut, could you teach my team communication? And I said, no, there's n I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. I've never done it before. He said, well, you'll work it out. I'll give you a free haircut, come back and do it. So I did it and they loved it. And just by word of mouth from that hair salon, other people got to know about what I was doing. 
and it you know it led to the place where we've now trained well over a hundred thousand people so that's oh the God, uh, that's, that's the whistle awesome. stop door <laughs> that is hilarious so i'm fascinated and fun so um can i play on the how does the autistic thread of things because um i'm gonna call it that for lack of a better word you can give it whatever word you want to um how does that play out in your day-to-day -day life now yeah so uh, essentially what it means uh, for me the best way i can describe it is uh, i heard that there was an experiment done which i believe was done in australia where they find that um, autistic people can communicate well with each other and neurotypical people can communicate well with each other it's just when the two groups come together there's a sort of a disconnect a different way of approaching the situation and so you know i have um, sort of friends clients people that i know who are autistic and have a sort of, sort of similar aspect of autism to me because there's a big spectrum out there and we find we can engage and understand each other perfectly well. There's just a disconnect uh, elsewhere. The way that I look at it, what, what it means to me now, though, is that because I've studied communication for so long, I've always looked at communication as sort of an outsider with a different lens on things. And so if I was trying to work out how to have presence or gravitas or something to do a speech, I'd be analyzing what are neurotypical people doing that achieves that and what are they doing when they don't achieve it? What are the differences in there? Uh, to the point at which I published my own uh, research back in 2016 in the journal Psychology, which is one of the biggest studies ever done on that sort of subject where, you know, so now I can go and work with my clients where if they say to me, look, I need to have more gravitas, I'll say, do a speech for me and I will tell you which components are missing because I can give you the aspects that are not there because I've had to analyze it for myself. And so, you know, thankfully, it means that with my communication, I've been able to build it up from, from scratch. And it gives me great compassion for people who struggle with communication where they say, look, these parts are not working for me. I'd like to help them out. The, the one bit that I've never really fully mastered is banter so so banter to me as an outsider banter looks like uh, two people insulting each other and then laughing in each other's faces uh, which you know when Pretty i've much. tried it myself doesn't really work uh, the only way i've got it to work is if i apply there's one key concept i talk to people about in communication which is lift that you, if you have com effective communication, you aim to lift the other person. So you lift them from a negative or a neutral state to a positive or a more positive state in the communication. And that's what banter really is about. It's not about what you're saying or the actions, it's the intention of lift. You're aiming to lift the other person through this banter. And so uh, that's my, my sort of way in. I haven't quite mastered that one uh, yet, but uh, other pieces I'm, I'm doing okay with. <laughs> That's good. There's a lot of people that have mastered banter. Um, but I want to talk to you about that, that recognition that you have of other people. So I'm assuming that if you walked into a room, talked to 10 people, you could go, yeah, they're probably on the spectrum. Yeah, they're on the spectrum. And it, it, can you can you pick it out like that? Because I would guess that a room <clears throat> full of entrepreneurs probably have like eight or 10 for 10, as opposed to maybe a corporate room might have, you know, one out of 100. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, actually. I mean, I'm, I'm starting to become more aware of it because it, my diagnosis was only a year ago. There's still aspects of it that I'm starting to understand, uh, you know, what, what does it include? What doesn't it include? Uh, so and because the thing is with autism uh, as a diagnosis now, it's so broad compared to what it was back in the 1980s. It was very limited, uh, whereas they started to include more and more things in what's involved there. So uh, I wouldn't say I'd always be proficient. So just but to what tease, I would say, we're not allowed to say that just because somebody doesn't catch on to your joke, they might be on the spectrum. You're not allowed to say that yet, right? 
<laughs> no, I, I, I would say not. No, no, you're not allowed to say. That. <clears throat> it's all good. <laughs> um, I'm just, I'm, I'm teasing a way that it to me it's fascinating because I, I honestly think like the whole ADD thing happened in the '80s too, and the, and I honestly believe that a lot of entrepreneurs are much, um, more skilled at certain things whereby they they find something fascinating and they drill into it and people who have been diagnosed typically with add have that kind of tendency and from what i've seen people that have been diagnosed as being on the spectrum kind of have that tendency too and a lot of the entrepreneurs that i see have that tendency and that it mm. it makes them not fit in in a corporate role but it makes them perfect for the entrepreneurial role mm. yeah i certainly think that um being autistic has helped me in many aspects in, in my yeah. life. So, uh, you know, I'm grateful for all the elements that, that it's given me. It's definitely given me that aspect of um, feeling like I, I, I knew from a young age, I wasn't like the other kids in some way. Like, I, And I thought, okay, well, rather than trying to fit in, I'm just going to be me. I'm going to be independently who I am and who I want to be. And then it led me to a place of wanting to, to run my own business rather than fit in to the general sort of corporate landscape and have a career there, which, you know, working in a big open plan office was uh, not something that I was uh, relishing the idea of. So it did give me that ability to uh, want to be independent, but also to, you know, to build my own stuff and not, not think about what does everybody else do and, and where can I go and be a part of that? It made me want to build my own way of working. And it, it's also, because I've had to really drill down and get specific about, you know, what is effective communication and what is it not? And what does that look like for every person? Uh, that it's, it's then helped me to deliver results to my clients that I wouldn't have been able to otherwise. I love it. So now who would you say that you work with the most or who is most attracted to you to work with you? I'd say that mostly we work with people who are in a position of leadership. So sort of middle management upwards. And I think the reason being that the higher you get in a, a corporation, the higher you get on the ladder of your career, the more important your communication becomes. So, uh, you know, rather than just speaking to uh, somebody on the desk next to you, then you could be speaking with a message that is cascaded through 10,000 people, uh, people worldwide, people in different languages. And so the impact of your message is much more important plus potentially at that point of their career there's more budget or investment in their development and so they get uh, uh, opportunities for leadership development programs that's often where we get brought in or leadership summits and conferences we get brought in there uh, a lot but on the other end of the scale you know sometimes I'll speak on stage and it's everybody in an organization and I've really enjoyed that recently where you know I'll go and speak to large uh, groups and sometimes virtually I was doing a virtual group uh, just two weeks ago where we had like 3,000 people in from every different background where I'm working with them on the subject of mindset and everybody needs to improve uh, that area to help them thrive and perform at their best in moments of pressure or moments that really matter. So I do love working with people from every every background but I think the more senior level tend to seek us out more. Awesome so when when they're when you're working with those uh, that level of leadership, is it, is it because they're not having the gravitas, as you mentioned earlier, that the message isn't coming across, or do people tend to have other issues where they're, they're saying one thing and they think they've said it clearly and loudly and, and everybody's going, that's totally not what I heard. I heard this. 
Exactly. Yeah. But both of those aspects are important. So firstly, you tend to find in many professions that people get promoted because they're the best person at the job. Uh, so for example, they might be the best engineer. We work with lots of engineering companies or uh, sort of people involved in uh, pharmaceutical companies and telecoms, people who are in technical professions. And they get elevated to a point of being a manager because they were the best person at that technical job. And then suddenly they're in a position where now they need all of those sort of uh, soft skills as they're called, I like to call them hard skills, but people call them hard, soft skills. They suddenly need them that much more so because of the position that they're in. And so they are then coming to us to figure out, well, how do I get this right? And the other aspect is that you often get what's called the curse of knowledge, where people know so much. They think, I've, I've got all this information. I've got all this wisdom, this experience. If I just start speaking, then that will be clear for the other person. And what we then coach them on is to say, look, First of all, of course, you need to have gravitas when you speak in certain situations or whatever, whatever intention you have towards people. Think about how you want them to feel by the time you leave the room. Let's achieve that. But then in the message, you've got to drill down into really understanding storytelling skills. And storytelling is incredibly misunderstood throughout the corporate landscape where people think, oh, I know what you mean. You've got to tell anecdotes and be funny and talk about historical events and why they matter. And, it's not about that. It's about understanding why do we love stories? We love stories because stories are captivating certain elements of our brain in a certain order. So stories captivate the survival mind, the emotional mind, and then the logical mind. And it's captivating those three elements in that order. And so if you can do that as a leader where you can speak to people and share with them a spreadsheet or a new initiative or a new project that's happening and explain it in the arc of a story then suddenly people get it they care about it they are engaged with it they want to take action on it because they've understood it in terms of that flow so we're often working with people on those uh, those aspects i love it and it brings up a ton of questions for me but so when you mentioned those three points that somebody should have in a story, does that kind of narrow down how they tell the story and what they're telling the story about? Could it be about how they came up with the spreadsheet and why they thought it was important or how people use the spreadsheet? Like, does it matter what story they're telling when it comes to explaining mm. that? Um, are there things that they can do to make it better? Yeah. So, so, I mean, you can take any kind of information. I often say to people, you can take an email, a document, a, a meeting, a PowerPoint deck, and you can transform that into the shape of a story to make people understand it and have context around it, know what matters, why it matters and what they should do about it. And so you can put all of those into a framework. So let's take a, a spreadsheet as an example. <clears throat> you know, some people might walk into a meeting and say, um, um, hi, everyone. I want to talk to you about this spreadsheet. Uh, here's some numbers. You can see 17.4% up there. And without realizing it, people around the room are looking at each other, maybe looking at them thinking, am I supposed to know what 17.4% means? What it relates to? If it's good, is it good? Is it bad? Is that a big number or a small number? They look at each other and think, I don't know. Is that, do you think it's good? I don't know what it is. And so they've got no context uh, around it. So you can turn that whole thing into the framework of a story. So if you think about engaging the survival mind first, <clears throat> this is something that's done all the time in stories where you see a person living their life and suddenly they're in jeopardy. They're in jeopardy where uh, there's a risk of them losing a loved one or losing their, their place of uh, losing their job, lo losing the place that they live. There's some kind of jeopardy that comes up and instantly as an audience, you think, oh no, what's going to happen to this person? Are they going to be okay? 
and you maybe hear about potential worse situations in the future where you hear, hang on a second, if they, if they do one more bad thing where they work, they're going to be fired and they'll never be able to pay their rent and they'll be put back in jail or something's going to happen that's bad in the future. And it grabs our attention. The same goes if you're talking about a spreadsheet where you can say, hey, everyone, thank you so much for coming to the meeting today. Look, I, I know when we met two weeks ago that you had this major concern around project x and the big concern you had is that we are running out of time here and if we can't turn this around we're out of budget and it's going to damage our reputation and so i know that's been a big concern for you and suddenly you get people in the room if you've named it correctly you get people in the room thinking he's right oh my goodness i am worried about this what's he going to say about it and they're suddenly uh, wanting to know every word that comes out of your mouth then you can light up the emotional part of uh, the uh, the person's mind. So this is something again done in storytelling where you flip from challenge, some kind of um, peril that's happening across to the, the opportunity of a greater future. So this is like if you take the classic tale of uh, Aladdin, we find out that Aladdin has no food, um, he has to steal food just to eat and he's living on the streets. But then he thinks, wow, what if I can fall in love with this person and we live happily ever after? And you think, wow, that does sound exciting, but how is he going to do that? And let me see. Uh, and so you can do the same thing with the spreadsheets. You say, look, I understand you've had concerns. There's this project. It's been a big worry for everybody. What if I could share with you something today that would give you an insight that would allow us to reduce the time we're spending on this project and get better results in a way that enhances our reputation would that be useful to you and everyone's thinking of course that'll be amazing if you can do that i'm i'm going to listen to everything you say and then you go into the spreadsheet where you say well the key thing first of all i need to share with you that moves us from where you are right now to where you want to be is 17.4 percent and let me explain why that's important now at that stage the logical mind kicks in and says I now really understand why I'm listening to this, why, why it matters and what I need to do about it. So it's going through those three stages and you can do that in, you know, you can do that in three paragraphs in an email. Uh, if you wanted to, you can do it uh, TV commercials, do that in 30 seconds. So, so to give you an example of this, if you watch like um, a shampoo commercial, what do they do? They start off by saying, are you tired of having dull, lifeless hair? Uh, do you find that nobody looks at you or if they do, they don't want to look at you and they do all these things. Then they say, you know, what if you could have the most beautiful hair and live a life of luxury where everybody thinks you're magical? Well, you can with our shampoo and they show you a hair follicle with hydroparamoxylene going through it. And your logical mind says, right, I'm really interested. If they showed you the hair follicle at the beginning of the advert, you'd think this is nonsense. What are they doing this for? I'm going to go and make a coffee. But they show you peril then a potential better future, then they give you some science and you think, wow, that's amazing. And they do it all in 30 seconds. So you can do it in 30 seconds or 30 minutes or three hours if you want to. And if you can do it in 30 seconds with shampoo, you can do it with anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is awesome. I'm loving that. So when it comes to being able to hone in on this, how do you typically work with somebody? Like you mentioned that they're working one-on-one -on -one with you or they, they're bringing you into the speaking engagement. How does that kind of relationship transpire? What kind of information are you looking for from them and how do they get it up? Yeah, so, so usually what we do is um, we'll, I'll always ask about those two things that I mentioned just there to begin with. What is the current challenge they're facing? Because people pick up the phone to us because they've got a challenge of some sort. What is the current challenge? If they're not able to fix that challenge, what impact would that make? So I'm always looking for that initially. And then the second piece I'll look at is imagine that you do work with us six months from now. How are things different? 
what, what are we really aiming to achieve? Because sometimes, you know, somebody might come to me and say, could you improve my presentation for this conference? And I'll say to them, okay, absolutely, we can do that. Let's just understand for a moment, what is the challenge that you feel you're facing at the moment? What have you tried in terms of the past? How have your results been when you've spoken at conferences and so on? Or to give you a live example, we worked on with a client recently, they wanted us to train uh, 200 people on their leadership team because they needed to cascade a really important message. So I said, okay, tell me about this message in particular. What's not resonating with your company at the moment? Why is that a challenge? And, in, and if you can't get it to resonate with people, what ultimately could happen? What are we aiming to avoid? Now, let's imagine I train these 200 people for you. What are we aiming to happen a year from now? Let's say I come to your next conference. What has changed? And where did you get people to? And what's changed for them day to day? What are the big changes that have happened? And from there, we can build out a way to get them there, a, a, a journey that will take them from where they are right now to where they want to be, which might be uh, through training them various strategies that we can do as a group, uh, giving some people one-to-one -one coaching, taking them into breakouts, getting them to work with each other. So they're brainstorming a new way of working together and then practicing that with each other so they have a, a new uh, methodology going forwards. So a whole bunch of scenarios are then put into place for them to get them from where they are to where they want to be, which interestingly is often not what they think it's going to be. Sometimes people come to us and they say, I need media training. We'll say, well, uh, why do you need media training? Well, you know, there seems to be some conflict going on in the workplace right now. And we're just we're concerned that we might get some interviews happening with the press. And so I'll say to them, ha, huh, hang on a second. You said there's some conflict happening at work. Is that the piece that needs resolving? Yes, but we're not sure how to resolve it. And I'll say, okay, well, what if we could do that piece? If we can resolve the conflict, is that what you're aiming for? Yes. Well, then we do conflict resolution training. So it's, uh, you know, really digging down into what is really needed right now and, and where do we want to go to? I love it. So give us an example of a Cinderella story of one of your clients. Uh, sure. So, uh, so there was, uh, there was one uh, client in particular who we worked with where this is the largest deal we were ever helping someone with, which was worth $800 million on this deal. And there was maybe 18 people who were working on this. They'd been working on it for about 18 months before they brought us in. And they were getting down to the final couple of days uh, before the last pitch. And they knew that at this point, it had been brought down to three potential suppliers. And this was to build a new building on the bank of the River Thames in London, which is where I'm from. And uh, they knew they were in third place out of the final three. And uh, we were then working with them. We worked on body language uh, for their delivery. We worked on team dynamics. We worked on how they would handle challenging questions. But then we were also working on this final pitch, the story structure of it and who is going to deliver it. And I'll always remember the night before the final pitch, it was 5 p.m. And uh, the, the CEO had flown over from the States to come to London so that we could coach him uh, and his team before they pitched the next day. And he stood up and I was thinking, okay, well, I'm supposed to be out of here at 6 p.m. Like, you know, we haven't even done this final rehearsal. And he stood up and he started to deliver. And I immediately got the sense that he thought they were about to lose. And I thought, I don't have much time here. I've just got to say it. I said to him, do you think you're going to win tomorrow? I mean, sorry to interrupt your rehearsal, but do you genuinely think you're going to win? And he said, no. And it was almost like the air got sucked out of the room. The people around the table then thought, what? We've invested all this time. And they looked at me, they looked at him like, what are we doing? And I said to him, can you tell me why you think you're not going to win? And he said, well, the challenge is there's somebody on the decision-making panel who just doesn't like Bob. And because of that, there's a disagreement. And then they're scoring us 
poorly when they should be scoring as well. And that's all a big challenge. We can't take Bob off of our group. So they just have to deal with it. And we're going to lose this tomorrow. And so I said to him, okay, let me talk to you about storytelling for a moment, because I think there's something we can do here. And he said, okay, I'm listening. I said to him, would it be fair to say, if we talk about storytelling for this situation, that you would feel that potentially you are the hero of this story where, cause people often position themselves as hero of a story they're telling. And I said, you know, uh, that you feel that your, your company here is being treated badly. So you're coming in to rescue the situation as best you can, whether you can overcome the dragon or not. And he said, yeah, okay. That sounds about right. And I said to him, would it be fair to say if this was a story that your company is being treated like um, it's a victim of a bad situation? And he said, that's right. They are a victim of a bad situation. I'm here to save them. And then I said, well, what do you think the panel is? Let's turn this into a story. What is the panel? If you're the hero, your team is a victim. What is the panel? Is it fair to say that they are the villain in this situation? And he said, you're so right. That's, that's, that's how I'm seeing this. And I said, look, we need to shift that around because if you go and ask someone to give you $800 million and you treat them like they're a villain in a story, it's just not going to happen. So I said, let's shift this around. The dynamic we then created is I said to him, what if you could see the decision makers as the hero of this story? They've got challenges. They have got this huge project they want to do and they don't know who to go for. And there's a hole in the ground. They've got to fill it with you know, glass and steel and turn it into something spectacular, huge challenge. And their goal is a beautiful, brilliant, profitable project. That's the journey they're on. What if you step in, not as the hero, not the victim or the villain, you step in as the mentor, the guide that is here to let them know on their journey from where they are to where they want to be, there is a guide that will help them. And so we repositioned the whole thing. They went in and for various reasons, I'm sure not just that, but for various reasons, they didn't, did then go from third place to first place, won the deal and uh, were then in charge of building it. So that was a nice turnaround at the last minute. Um. Yay. Well, well, one, you're clearly an epic storyteller. That was fantastic. And two, um, the, the points in there are easily translatable, I see, as something that somebody can take as when they feel defeated and use that as a practicality to be able to see things differently. Because I interview a lot of people and a lot of people talk about the stories, but they don't, nobody has ever articulated it that way whereby we start to change the characters of the story so that we're impacting the right people at the right time with their yeah. the message that they want to hear. And certainly not when mm. they don't want to hear like they're the villains, <laughs> they're the ones paying yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. So what are some of the stumbling blocks that somebody might be having that they're listening to this right now going, oh my God, Richard, we need you in our company so badly. What kind of problems are they yeah. having right now? So, uh, well, so many challenges. Let me think what comes up. So one of the big challenges that comes up is people saying, uh, look, I'm just not a confident communicator. You know, um, like you just said to me, oh, that was a great, great story, Richard, and so on. But I, I'd always turn around to them and say, look, I didn't come to this naturally. I, I, I really had to work on this. When I was first presenting and speaking and so on, I was terrible at it. And I really stuck with it to the point at which I, I could get to a place of, of doing it well and being fortunate enough to, to pay for it, uh, be, be paid to do it. And so when it comes to building up a level of confidence, I would always say to people, uh, that you know, everybody has the opportunity to improve their communication skills. And one of the key things that uh, I think is so nice about the, uh, the research project, I think I mentioned a bit earlier on that we published, uh, was that it showed us that the key to great communication is not about learning a bunch of tactics that make you something that you're not. 
The key to great communication is actually getting rid of habits that are holding you back and coming back to how you were naturally born to speak. And th this is, you know, whether you're neurotypical uh, on the spectrum or anything in between neurodiverse, we found that universally, if you take a look at what people really respond well to in someone who's communicating, it's someone who is embodying certain things that we do when we are very small children that kind of get beaten out of us during sort of school years and early stages of our career. So as a simple example of this, if you take a look at a child when they, I'm fortunate enough to have two children, and I've seen this in them and, and in my family members as well. When they get to about the age of one, they're trying to stand up. And if they stand with their feet together, they fall down. If they stand with like one foot splayed out one way, another foot splayed out the other, they fall down. But eventually they work out that if they stand with their feet about shoulder width apart, with their weight evenly placed between left foot and right foot, toes and heels, they are centered, they're grounded, and they can stand. And they'll look at you like, oh, I have suddenly risen. I am now on just two limbs, not four. And they feel so proud of themselves. And then they try and move one foot and walk, and then they fall down. Uh, but they're in that centered position. Now, when you're older, what people tend to do is they, they don't stand in that position. You can watch people, you know, doing a presentation or a talk or even standing in a corridor talking to someone, and they'll be leaning off to one side, leaning to one hip, and they maybe shift and they lean off onto the other hip. They might sway backwards and forwards without even knowing they're doing it, just sort of this rocking motion moving around. And when you do that, you are physically seen as a pushover. And so what I mean by that is that if someone came up and just touched you on the shoulder and pushed you in one direction, you fall over. And in fact, my basketball coach did this uh, to me when I was like 17 years old. I was practicing doing free throws. and My basketball co coach came up and just pushed me over. I said, what are you doing? And he said, well, you're a pushover. I'm just showing you, you need to get more centered when you, when you do your free throws. And it's true in basketball, in tennis, in golf. Whenever someone is about to do something important, they get really centered. Feet about shoulder width apart weight evenly placed, and then they do it. Now, if you do that when you're communicating, you come back to that centered position. What you're doing is going back to the position that you learned when you're one year old to get that sense of gravitas. Gravity is now working with you, not against you. And it gives you a feeling of gravitas. It gives you a feeling of being more your sort of natural self, the way that you were born to stand in front of people. And it gives other people this sense that you are physically stronger and therefore your words mean more and they're more convinced by what you have to say. And there were some brilliant parts of the study uh, that we published that showed just that small aspect of difference. Suddenly people think you're more convincing, you're a better leader. They would more, be more likely to vote for you in an election because suddenly gravity is working with your body the way that it would have done when you're one year old. So that was just one of the aspects that we proved that if you reconnect with the way that you would have done things when you were as a child, then suddenly you can uh, be seen as much more of a tribe leader in front of people. Clearly you don't want to be sort of screaming and crying and needing a nappy like you did or diaper when you when like you're younger <laughs> there's there's a limit to it but coming back to that natural physical way of interconnecting uh, connecting with uh, other people is the best way to go nice and don't wipe out as soon as you leave that position <laughs> probably helps not doing face plants <laughs> well right. one of the big things that i've noticed with people with standing still is their hands People hate mm. having hands, period. <laughs> it's like, I don't know what yeah, to do yeah. with them. I don't know where they belong. I can't put them in my pocket and hide them. I can't put them behind me, in front of me. What do you do with your hands and how do you feel comfortable doing that? 
Yeah, it's a great question. It's one of the most common questions I've had over the years because my company is <laughs> right? called Body Talk. I've had so many people come up to me at like networking events or a wedding or something, and they hear what I do and what my company's called, and they say, oh, I've got this big meeting, interview, presentation coming up. I just don't know what to do with my hands. And I often joke with them and say, so you know, think of it this way. When you go to a bar with your friends, do you ever walk in there with your hands down by your sides saying, guys, I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know what to do with my hands. Like, of course not, because you know what to do. You just say hello, you interact. You're not thinking about it. It's all happening subconsciously. So the challenge is when you go into a meeting and you want to make a good impression, suddenly you're consciously trying to think about what to do with your hands and you've forgotten what you do subconsciously. So what you need to do is to get back into a good rhythm of using them in the same way that you would have done subconsciously. A couple of other aspects to say on this is that some people are afraid of gesturing and they, they, they say sometimes their boss has told them to sit on their hands because they're just moving their hands around for no reason. But a couple of things to look at is firstly, there's a great study done in the University of Chicago by Susan Golden Meadow that shows that if you are gesturing, you improve your cognitive processing, which means that you can think more intelligently, more quickly, and give better answers to questions. The second thing to look at is there was another study done, which I think was done by Vanessa Van Edwards and, and her team. And uh, they found that if you look at TED Talks on exactly the same subject, which one gets more likes and more views? And they found that if you look at things on the same subject, people who are getting the more views are likely to have twice as many gestures as the people talking about the same subject uh, who are getting less views. So it's important that you do gesture. So how do you get back in the rhythm of that? It's very, very, very simple. The, the main two gestures to think about that get your rhythm going again is palms up and palms down. Now, we, we showed in our, our research project that people who don't gesture are seen as less convincing. They're not a good leader. They're low in confidence. As soon as you gesture with either palms up or palms down, then all of your ratings go up. But the best combination that we got out of anything we tested, and this is worldwide that we tested this, is that if you gesture palms up for open statements, such as, hi everyone, nice to meet you today. What do you think about this? I'd love to hear your thoughts, open statements, palms up. And if you do palms down for strong closed statements, such as we must finish this by two o'clock on Friday, or this is the best way for us to move forward. It's a closed definitive statement. If you're congruently doing the palms up and the palms down on the right kind of statements, then all of your ratings go up. People think you're more convincing, you're more intelligent, you're a better leader, all of these different things uh, are going up and they're easy to do. So, so if you get stuck thinking, how should I gesture? The most common one you're gonna go with, go with the palms up somewhere between your uh, shoulders and your waist and just slightly away from the body. Don't get T-Rex arms where it's like right next to your body. Could you go slightly away from the body, do a little gesture and come back and your brain will think, hey, I just gestured and I didn't die. That was nice, I can do it again. And so you get back into this mood of thinking, okay, I can gesture and I'm accepted. Let me try palms down. And then as soon as you've done that for a little while, subconsciously, you'll start to move and um, engage in, in your words in different ways, gesticulate in ways that add meaning to your words or emphasis. And you won't have to think about it consciously anymore. You'll be back in the rhythm of doing things. So that's a quick way just to get yourself uh, started. Fantastic. So I know our audience is going to want more from you. How did they start their journey with you? 
So uh, if they're interested in uh, training for their organization, you can go to ukbodytalk.com. Uh, that's my, my company, my team there, who we work with people around the world. Uh, I've also got a new book out, uh, which is called Lift Your Impact, which people can get from all good bookshops, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and so on. Uh, they can go to liftyourimpact.com forward slash the book. And uh, on there, there's details about the book, where you can buy it, and you can get the first 25 pages for free uh, on the contact form at the bottom of that page. And then lastly, people can find me on LinkedIn, Richard Newman Body Talk, or on Instagram at Richard Newman Speaks. I love it. We will, of course, have all of your links in the show notes. So peeps, go and scroll down, click on all the links, make sure you open them in a new browser because we're not done yet. So Richard, you mentioned your, your entrepreneurial journey, but at what point did you know that you were that special kind of crazy enough to think that you could actually succeed and become an entrepreneur? Uh, yeah, good question. I think for me, there was a moment where I mentioned earlier that I uh, did a session for um, a free haircut for my, uh, yeah. for my hairdresser. There was, there was a moment uh, about six weeks after that where I got this phone call from the head of an engineering company and he said, hi there, I, this might be a bit out of the blue. I just had my haircut today and my hairdresser says, you're the number one communication coach in the country. Could you come and teach my team of engineers? Now, at the time, as an out-of-work actor, someone studying communication, I was working as a waiter, and uh, I went and did this job for this engineering team, and I think I did it like 90 minutes was roughly what I did, and I, I loved the session, and they loved the session, and I earned for that session the same amount that I would normally uh, earn uh, from doing seven shifts as a waiter, sort of working 80 hours, or whatever it was, and I thought, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. I love it. They think that I'm delivering tremendous value and look at how much I'm earning compared to what I'm doing now. This is it for me. And I, I sort of didn't language it as being an entrepreneur, but I thought I'm going to turn this into something. I'm going to follow it all the way. And I'm really glad that I did. Nice. I love it. Well, you have been absolutely awesome. Thank you. Any last words for our peeps? Uh, I think the last words I like to leave people with uh, sometimes is the greatest gift that I've discovered through the years that you can give someone is to see their greatness. And what I mean by that is, you know, my hairdresser, he saw something in me that I didn't know I had, and he nudged me in that direction. And he said, I see you doing this. And, you know, thank goodness he did, and, it, and what, all the life that it, it's given me uh, since then. So I always say to people, the greatest gift you can give someone this week is someone that you live with, you work with, in your family, is just see their greatness and let them know what you see in them, the potential that you see in them that maybe they can't see for themselves. And you'll never know what an extraordinary impact that may make on them and everybody whose lives they touch after that moment. Well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And I know how valuable it is. Thanks, Michelle. Awesome. Peeps, this is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you for being here with us today. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share it with your friends. We love helping entrepreneurs grow. Are you running a business over seven figures but still struggling with technology headaches? Pay attention. You do not want to miss this offer. This podcast episode is brought to you by Awareness Strategies, who is offering a custom-built digital adoption roadmap for anyone running a business over seven figures who's wanting to grow their business in the next five years. And it's not just a roadmap. They offer full implementation as well. If that scares the out of you, check out awarenessstrategies.com forward slash roadmap for more details today. The link's in the show's notes. Don't regret not doing this. Do it now. That's awarenessstrategies.com slash roadmap.